This is Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families with your host, Wayne Franz. Brought to you by Family Care Center, offering behavioral health services for both children and adults and specializing in services for military families and veterans. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. Now, here's Dwayne Franz. Hello and welcome to Inside the Military Mind. My name is Dwayne France, and each week we'll be talking about mental health and wellness for the military-affiliated population. Coming up in today's guest segment, I'll be having a conversation with Susie McKenzie, the founder and executive director of Eagle's Nest Ranch. After that, I'll be sharing the Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week, Operation Homefront, a national nonprofit serving America's military families. On this week's Insight segment of the show, I'll be talking about how military families can navigate the different identities of service member and veteran and military or veteran spouse. Have you ever wondered what it was like for Superman at home? He has chores and responsibilities just like every other spouse in a mutually supportive relationship. But how does he leave the cape at the door? And how does Lois get used to him wearing the cape around the house? This is a common challenge with many active duty service members and even a shift in role once a veteran leaves the military. Regardless of rank or service, the majority of service members are doing what they love, what is important to them every day. When we return home at the end of the day, we still carry some of that concern, some of that importance with us. When my wife and I met, I was already a sergeant in the Army, and we remained married through the four deployments that happened through the rest of my career. To me, during those 15 years that our marriage and my career overlapped, one of my primary identities was who I was in the Army. I held different positions, I got promotions, moved from base to base and unit to unit, but I was always me, Sergeant France. My wife, on the other hand, knew me as my alter ego, Dwayne. Just as Superman or Wonder Woman was the work identity, a spouse would have known them as Clark or Diana. The work that we do, the service that we provide, becomes such a part of our identity that it's challenging to shift from one to the other if we're not aware of it. My wife became adept at negotiating around those obstacles, especially in earlier times when she was more aware of things than even I was. When I was a young platoon sergeant in Germany, I would receive a call from work and immediately pick up the phone and go into non-commissioned officer mode, and she would usher our two toddlers out of the room. Not to give me privacy, but to shield our children from what, at times, became words not suitable for young ears. There were other times in which I wasn't aware of how I was bringing my work home with me. In my deployment to Iraq, I was a sergeant first class in the Army. I was one of four primary leaders in my unit. Pretty much anything I said to do, it was done. I said make it happen, and it happened. After some of the deployment time passed, I returned home on mid-tour leave, and all of a sudden, no one would do anything that I said. My wife wouldn't listen to me, my kids wouldn't listen to me, the dogs and cats wouldn't listen to me. I had no control. At one point, I jokingly said to my wife, don't you know who I am? And she said, I don't care. The challenge here is that I was unaware that I was wearing my boots, my cape, in the house. And looking back on it, I had to keep them on because it would have been a hard shift for me to have to return to Iraq and reassume the same role. At the same time, the challenge was that my wife was unaware of my need to keep my boots on. She really only saw me, Duane, and cared more about that identity than the Sergeant France role. It takes understanding and awareness on both the part of the service member and the part of the spouse to be able to manage these shifting identities. Sometimes awareness came slowly, like the slow movement of a sunrise that lights up the landscape, and sometimes it comes quickly, like the bathroom light coming on at four in the morning, jarring you out of your sleep. The service member can come to the understanding that there's not always a need to cling so hard to the military role, especially at home, and the spouse can come to understand that such a role is important to the service member. 
Even though Superman had all the powers in the world, he wouldn't do what he did if he didn't love it, didn't enjoy it. We don't do what we do in the military for the fame, and we certainly don't do it for the money. We do it because we love it. Maybe not all the time, and maybe not all the way, but we do still love it, and it's extremely important and satisfying to us. At the same time, I found that it consumed me at times, and many service members feel the same. There is very little off time, so to speak, because the phone is always on, making the plan for the next day is always there, and there's always a need to go back to what we came from. I needed to become aware that I did not have to always be quote-unquote on, that I could leave the cape hanging on the hook in the hallway, and that I could take my boots off and be present in my home with my family. This double awareness is usually what helps with these shifting roles. There is, like everything, another side of the story, and that's the superhero nature of the military spouse. When a service member is deployed, the spouse is everything. Head chef, accountant, mechanic, troubleshooter, problem solver, mother, father, good cop, and bad cop. Their job is moving from a dual parent role to a single parent role and back again, constantly. Life doesn't stop for anything. When I was deployed to Iraq, my daughter required surgery to get tubes in her ears. My wife had to go through all of that without me. My involvement was minimal, agreeing to move ahead or getting updates. Unfortunately, the day of the surgery, our base in Iraq was on a communication blackout. Due to security concerns, open communication from our base to the U.S. was suspended. Fortunately, I was given permission from my unit command to use my battalion executive officer's phone to talk to my wife and daughter after the surgery for 20 minutes. Meanwhile, my wife was there for 24 hours a day. That kind of endurance is what exemplifies a military spouse. It can also support the development of the spouse's own superhero identity, the one that says, I've got this, I can handle this. The challenge is that this alter ego also takes some time getting used to for both the spouse and the service member. My beautiful and long-suffering wife shares this story when we're talking about shifting roles. Having me come back home took some getting used to on her part. She told me that the first time I corrected or disciplined our children when I got back, she immediately got angry. She found herself thinking, who does this guy think he is, telling my kids what to do? It was great that she caught herself by reminding herself that they are our kids, but she was surprised by the rush of emotion that she felt. She realized that the readjustment that she would need to make was not just getting used to the muddy boots or having this other adult-sized human in the house, but a readjustment that she would need to make psychologically. The near-constant communication that is available during modern deployments can make this connection easier, but it can also make it more difficult. We have more rapid communication available to us, but this causes a shifting in roles to happen in a rapid cycle. During my first deployment to Afghanistan, my wife and I were lucky to communicate two or three times a week. I was in a much different role in my second deployment in Afghanistan, and we were able to talk almost daily. But both frequencies of communication were difficult for us because of the personal adjustments that needed to be made. Just as it was difficult for me to switch my thinking from a combat zone to the home front, it was equally difficult for my wife to switch from the home front to the combat zone. While I was enjoying Thanksgiving dinner with my troops, being Mr. Important Army Leader Guy, my wife and kids were enjoying their dinner on a smaller scale, maybe with other spouses or even by themselves. The point of all of this is that my wife and all military spouses have to develop superhero powers of their own, and that's not always acknowledged. So what happens when Superman and Wonder Woman share the same house? Does Superman become Clark Kent when Wonder Woman is around? Or can both of us simply be our real selves? It is this balance between I have this to we have this that many military couples experience. Instead of struggling by competing powers, much more will be accomplished 
and much stronger relationships will be experienced if both members of the superhero duo acknowledge the ability and strength of one another. Have you experienced this in your own family, the shifting between roles of superheroes on both sides? It'd be great to hear your thoughts. Share them with us by dropping an email to militarymind at fccsprings.com. Today's interview segment is with Susie McKenzie, the founder and executive director of Eagle's Nest Ranch, a 501c3 nonprofit located in Elizabeth, Colorado. The purpose of Eagle's Nest Ranch is to bring hope, trust, and growth to those who come to the ranch and use horses as a pathway to healing. Susie served as a missionary over a 14-year period in the Amazon jungle of Peru and on the northern coast of Colombia. After coming to Colorado in 2001, she began working at a human service nonprofit agency that helps families in crisis. She continued to work there for more than 13 years and served as director of kinship and military programs. She also volunteered for three years at a local horse rescue. Let's get into my conversation with Susie and come back afterwards to hear about this week's Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week. So you've been supporting service members, veterans, and their families for a number of years, both in the nonprofit and the local government sectors. How did you get involved with supporting the military-affiliated population? So before I started the uh, Eagle's Nest Ranch, I worked for a nonprofit in Denver that served um, people coming out of domestic violence, homelessness, and child abuse. And I was the supervisor, the director of a program of supporting grandkids who were living with grand, you know, with relatives, relative caretakers. And Adams County decided they wanted to start a program for the veterans, um, for the military coming back from Iraq. So they were, you know, pro, you know, thinking ahead of time, maybe before others, of the of the need that there would be um, for veterans, military men and women coming back from serving in Iraq. So they asked our agency to develop a program to serve them, and they wanted to model it after the same program that I was already um, supervisor of. And so that project came to me to uh, serve these families that came back and uh, trying to reintegrate and the difficulties and the struggles it is to reintegrate into civilian society, maybe um, having trouble finding a job or living with a PTSD or a traumatic brain injury. And so we had a small program that had some supportive services funds, and our job was to connect them with resources that could help them on a long-term basis, but maybe help pay their rent. So I learned a lot about um, military and military life and military challenges. I I hadn't had any um, experience Mm -hmm. in that way, but I learned a lot over those, I think it was about seven to nine years. Wow. And uh, doing that program, and then we, our agency added other programs to serve um, military active duty as well as veterans in the Denver metro area. And then we uh, also worked with homeless veterans. And so I, over time, I, I began to learn a lot, and it was like, okay, when I start this ranch, I've got to serve the military community. Right. And right about the same time, my oldest son um, joined the Army, <laughs> and he went to Iraq, and he served in Iraq, and then later he uh, served in the Guard and was in Korea. And uh, then I have a, another son who joined the Navy and was on a submarine. So I saw things from both sides, right. from being a service provider as well as being a mom. 
So I'm, I'm curious what it was like for you. Um, you were working in the support space, but then there's this entire another group. And we've talked about how, you know, we think differently, right? We act differently. We have our own culture. What was it like for you um, maybe starting to address some of these mental health or these wellness concerns right at the very beginning? How did you start to develop some of that understanding? Oh, well, that was um – just from different different resources, I, I tried to read as much as I could. There was different conferences and uh, trainings in Denver um, through the VA as well as in pri- in the private sector, uh, providing information about PTSD, about TBI, about as I mentioned the struggle the struggle with reintegration, finding a job. I mean, how do you transfer a combat <laughs> combat uh, person to, okay, now you're in civilian society. So just learning about that and talking with people, but also as the families that we met, you know, the the spouses, the, the service member, him or herself, um, and the children, we worked with the whole family. And so as we began to work with these families, and, and I could hear from them directly as well, their struggles um, and their frustrations um, or the broken marriages. Um, not understanding why why are they on the couch? Why aren't they going out to get a job and that kind of thing? So it was uh, a variety of, of input that, that helped me understand more and more the need. That's just the tremendous need that it is out there to support our military. And then I and, and then going from having that experience to being a, a blue star mother, right? We we call the the parents of those who serve or deploy uh, blue star families. Um, my father was a Vietnam veteran, and so when when I enlisted, but definitely when I am deployed, and when my younger brother deployed, he sort of knew what to expect. This idea of the families they serve right along, not just the spouses, but also the parents. Absolutely. I'm curious what it was like for you having worked with veterans and sort of seeing the aftermath and then seeing your son go in and and experience that deployment as a a military parent. Yes, and it all kind of happened simultaneously. I was given this project and and soon after he joined the Army and then after some training he went to Iraq. And um, yeah, that was quite different, you know, to think of him over there not knowing what he was facing, didn't really have much communication with him. Um, but he was doing um, systems intelligence analyst type work, and so he wasn't like, you know, in combat itself. But he it, was still. It, there's no such thing as front lines anymore. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, it was. It, it was hard not knowing, you know, how is he doing? Um, and then you, you know, you watch the news and you hear the bombings and other things that were happening over there, or you know, convoys and so forth getting blown up and the IEDs and other things, you know, it was it was hard to um, to not have that contact and to wonder what's happening. But thankfully, he, he tried to send out a letter every now and then um, when he could or an email if it was possible. And, and so in that idea, even going back to your work before that of grandparents who are, are, are caring for children mm-hmm. um, who are in the system, um, it's sort of like the supporting the families is as much as important or is as important as serving the individuals in need. 
Oh, absolutely. Yes, that that is so true. I mean, with the with the other job with the grandparents raising grandkids or aunts and uncles with nieces and nephews, there's there's always the thought of the biological parents, like what's going on with them? What are you know, their challenges? Are they in jail? Are they on the street? Or, you know, they're in addictions. And yet there's the children right here that need help. And then there's the caretakers. So there's there's all these people that are involved that, that need support, for sure. And it works the same way then with veterans. None of this happens in a vacuum, right? right. These homeless veterans, yeah. um, maybe relationships have broken down. Um, spouses are, you know, the, the children. I mean, the, supporting the family unit of a service member who's going through healing is as important as supporting the, that individual. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and it's like I mentioned uh well, I can think of one veteran. He was a, a young man, um, had been in combat, came back, and he was living with his grandmother. And um, the, she, he was experiencing PTSD, and she was she would tell me how he would dive under the bed, hearing a siren or hearing you know a loud noise or something. And and for a while, he slept in the living room on the floor where he could see the front door and through the kitchen, the back door. Mm-hmm. And he, he couldn't sleep. I mean, I'm sure he didn't sleep very well, but I mean, it was just that hypervigilance and I need to watch, I need to protect, and, and unable to really have rest. And then that that grandmother, my 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 mother, tells people that she thinks I've been deployed like seventeen times. I did two tours in Germany overseas, and I said that's not really a deployment, mom. But in her mind, right? <laughs> sure. She she yeah. she thinks that You're there's away. like over my half yeah. of my career, I was I was overseas, um, and so that goes to that idea of supporting that grandmother or that grandfather or that spouse or that child is just like what's going on here. They don't understand. Exactly. Yes, that it is very hard for them to understand or to realize that that at when especially if their PTSD is triggered that they may be reliving something and uh, there was another family the wife talked about how her husband would wake up in a nightmare in the middle of the night and think, you know, that she was an Iraqi. Yeah. You know, and she had to say, "No, it's me. It's me. It's me." You know, and how frightening that is and difficult to understand as well as how can how can I help him how can I support him and so in, in based on that experience as you were working with the social services aspect of, of service and veter- uh, service members and veterans then you mentioned really what we want to be able to talk about today is Eagles Nest Ranch right mm-hmm. you're the founder uh, of Eagles Nest Ranch located in Elizabeth Eagles Nest Ranch is a therapeutic community that helps those that are experiencing in, invisible wounds um, especially through your healing horses for the armed forces mm-hmm. program serving the military population I'd like to hear a little bit more about Eagles Nest Ranch how it started and some of the things you do there? Oh, I'd be glad to. <laughs> I, I never uh, miss an opportunity to talk about what we do. Um, as you mentioned, we're located in Elizabeth. We're on a 40-acre property. And I grew up with a passion for horses all my life. Um, just loved horses, got a horse when I was 12. So I already knew um, how horses could help people. And even in my own life, you know, as growing up as a teenager and my mom had had her own troubles and struggles and so forth. And my second passion was serving people. And so I was also um, a missionary in South America in the Amazon jungle of Peru and then later on in the northern coast of Colombia. 
Um, and so that they were quite different um, environments, but I, I, I enjoyed them both. So I had both of those passions. And about, I guess it's probably nine or 10 years ago, someone gave me the book called Hope Rising, which is the story of Crystal Peaks Youth Ranch. And Kim Meter is the, is the writer, the author of the book, and she and her husband founded Crystal Peaks Youth Ranch, which is a ranch that um, serves children, but children who are having their own difficulties or challenges or family, family um, loss of family. Or, and they pair them up with horses that have been abused or neglected or in the need of a new home. And they began to see the interaction that was happening between these children and, and these horses that were broken. And out of that grew Crystal Peaks Youth Ranch, and now there are over 200 ranches across the United States that are modeled after them, and Eagle's Nest Ranch is one of them. So when I read that book, um, it was like, oh man, I didn't know I could use horses to help people. That's what I want to do. But I had to see God's, um, uh, his direction. You know, is this something he wants me to do? I'm not going to go off in a direction that he doesn't call me. Um, but he made it very clear. And so we, um, so I went to Crystal Peaks Youth Ranch in 2008. After she wrote the book, she was on the radio and there were so many inquiries about how can I do that? They started holding clinics there because they could not handle all the inquiries. And while I was there in 2008, that was when God um, confirmed to me that, yes, go on this path um, so that I could, I'm, I'm putting my two passions together. We did not uh, start until 2014, so there was a six-year period, and that's when I was working at the other agency and um, working with veterans and military um, active duty and veterans at that time. So when I started Eagle's Nest Ranch, there was without a doubt in my mind is like we have to serve the military community they they do so much for us they sacrifice so much and uh, you know I don't I don't believe the regular civilian society d that does not have connection some type of connection with the military doesn't understand right <laughs> you know they have no clue really in some ways of, of what all that they do for us and um so it, it was important to start the Healing Horses for the Armed Forces program at Eagle's Nest Ranch. Hey, but even then, it wasn't just that, you know, you wanted to do something good for, for service members and veterans. Based on your experience with the social services agency, there was a need there, right? You saw that there was a need yes. to be able to do this healing. Yes, absolutely. Um, especially, like you said, within that work and and meeting those families and seeing how um, those that, I mean, not everyone who comes back has PTSD, but mm -hmm. sometimes people seem to stereotype that. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, it's a, it's a normal reaction to an extraordinary um, experience. Uh, it can happen with a car wreck or other, you know, other types of uh, traumatic events. But, yes, um, seeing that families were falling apart or, you know, children not knowing why doesn't daddy want to go to the mall or go to the baseball game or go to a movie theater. You know, it's, it's hard for the family to understand what their loved one has gone through, whether uh, it's a man or a woman, what they've gone through and how that's affected and changed their life. I had one wife told me, this is not the man I married. This mm -hmm. is not 
the person that I married. And after they tried to work things out, it ended in divorce. And it's it's sad. It's sad for the children. It's it's sad for for both, um, you know, each man and wife. Um, and so the absolutely the need was there. Also, and I'll try. You know, I get emotional when I start talking about this. So just a FYI. Um, the other part is suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's such a high rate of suicide in the military community as well as the first responder community mm-hmm. and. And it seems to be, it seems to me that it's happening more and more as well and just in the general public. It's, mm-hmm. It is, yeah. And so that's hard. And so I um, experienced the loss of my mom through suicide. Mm. And so when I was 23. And so I knew that I wanted to help others find that there there's an alternative way of life, you know, that I think people when they get to that point of wanting to take their life they they believe strongly believe that there is no other option or mm-hmm. this is the best option i have either they're going to they're going to be better off without me you know goes through their mind they don't realize the pain that they leave behind right and so a big part of what i what we do or what motivates me is that people would see that yeah, today is bad, and maybe tomorrow is bad too. But no, no, no matter how dark the day is, there is always hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. And so we, we want to um, help help people, just guide them to Him, and also to see that, yeah, it is bad today, but it doesn't mean that's going to be the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So that's what we work towards, and. Um, and we do that through the horses. It's really encouraging to me, uh, and 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 very similar to me is is. Um, thankfully, we didn't lose my father to suicide. We were able to to engage in an attempt and, and be able to get him the help that mm. he needed. Um, but this idea of yourself being a suicide loss survivor, mm-hmm. uh, and then taking that pain and and going on to to be able to do things for other people. Um, you know, that's in, in the concept that we're all talking about now is post-traumatic growth, right? That coming out of an extremely difficult situation and gaining strength from that in, in helping other people. Absolutely, yes. And I mean, I, I, I think part of it for myself, when she um, was successful in taking her life when I was 23, it was those teenage years right. that that um, that I lived through trying to support her and help her. And as a as a kid and a child myself, and as a minor, you don't know what to do. And she didn't, you know. She we believe she was probably um, bipolar mm-hmm. and never diagnosed. Right. One of my brothers um, became a therapist um, from our experience, but she had tried a couple other times, you know, and uh, we found her or something like that. And so. Yeah, I don't want to see other people do that, and 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 now I've lived the majority of my life without her, and she hasn't seen her grandkids, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know missed missed other things that could have brought her joy. And I think that's really again this idea of yes, service members and veterans, um, first responders, other you know LGBTQ youth and adults. I mean, there there are large amounts of of. Um, populations that have a higher risk for suicide, um, and 
And so Eagle's Nest Ranch is a place where you bring service members and veterans to their their families, perhaps, um, and, and it sort of gets them away from all mm. of the chaos. Right. Um, we were just talking about how beautiful Elizabeth is right now, um, but but you know a, a ranch out on the the plains a little bit can can maybe be a healing place. Yes, we it, it's it's I think one thing that's unique about it in the sense of. A different type of way of receiving some help and support as well as healing is that you know there there's times when it is absolutely appropriate to go to an office and 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 to see a counselor and talk to a therapist but coming out to ranch and being out in nature and we're away from downtown Denver let's say um, because we have veterans that have come from the VA Medical Center when it was located downtown, and they, um, they just they tell me they don't want to leave. You know, like where can I? What can I come live out here too? <laughs> you have forty acres out here, right? Right. Have exactly. a couple. Yeah. Can I put a tent out here? And um, but it, that's where the the uh, the environment we want to we want to create. Not just it's just the beauty of the of the place, but also we want to create an environment of safety. That you're safe here. We we we're not judging you. We we want to love you, and um, you're accepted here. And we want to help you through this thing. So it's okay to cry if you need to cry. If you're angry and you need to express that, that's okay. And so to provide that that environment so they feel safe. So then they can then they can um, express themselves honestly and and be honest with themselves and and with us and um, you get a horse out and you put them with a horse and it's, uh, it's, it's really a cool thing to see the interchange that can happen. And um, I can talk a little bit about why horses. Maybe, you know, some people might wonder, well, why, what's different about a horse, you know? But there's a lot of uh, relation, uh, correlations between uh, military folks or first responders and and the way the horse thinks horses we don't I know I didn't always think about them as a prey animal mm-hmm. it is that they um, out in the wild they are not predators they are the ones that are preyed upon mountain lions pack of wolves potentially a bear and so they um, are always about their survival so they are always watching, and it's and I talk about horses' eyes are on the side of their head, and that's so that God created them so they can watch um, uh, about 180 degrees, just about all the way on both sides. They can't see right in front or right behind them, so they can see and they're watching, and they want to know, "Am I safe?" That's their question. "Am I safe?" And then their ears are like antennas that are listening, and they can. Uh, move their ears independently and they're tuning into their environment to know am I safe can I relax or do I need to flee so they're that fight-or-flight animal and so when I explain that to a combat veteran they totally understand Mm -hmm, they understand that and and we also have a Mustang um, who lived in the wild and to use her um, now she's um, she's able to I think with with all horses, they're able to regulate themselves. Mm-hmm. If it if they need to flee, and they need to get out of danger, they will. But they can immediately go back to being at rest. Mm-hmm. And so they're uh, just a wonderful example 
of of how to live in a in a way where you're you're vigilant, you're watching, but yet you're not letting you're not letting it control you. Right, you're you're in control, and I definitely want to get into more of that. Uh, you're listening to Inside of Inside the Military Mind. My name is Dwayne France. Today, I'm having a conversation with Susie McKenzie of Eagles Nest Ranch. Now, you just talked a little bit about it. And I'd love to dive more into that. You have worked with horses for many years, and one of the things Eagles Nest Ranch uh, provides equine assisted healing, as we were just talking about. How have you seen some of this sort of how horses interact? How have you seen how that can help those who served that might be experiencing some challenges related to military service? Well, I can I can think of um, well, there's several examples, but one that comes to my mind right now. He was, I think it was his first time out, and um, so what the core of our program are 90 minute sessions. And where someone makes an appointment and they come out for a 90 minute time frame and we do chores first and then the rest of the time is spent with a horse and so um, I was with this um, service this he was a veteran uh, young man and we were doing chores but we were doing it in the corral where the horses were and when we went out there uh, one of our horses was laying down and um, I thought, okay, the session is actually starting right now. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still picking up poop, but actually the session is starting now. And um, I had never approached this horse while she was lying down, but it came to me that, well, you know what, I'm gonna see if she will um, allow him to approach. And so as I was just saying, horses are all about survival. So when they are down on the ground, they are very, vulnerable and so actually horses um like you might see a whole flock of sheep out in the pasture sleeping you know they're all laying down horses don't do that a couple may be laying down but there's always going to be a few that are standing up and they're the sentinels they are watching for danger and if they you know react then the up the others are up and running you know they're 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 gone and so to have a horse down on the ground and have a human who's a predator, right, approach that horse, you know, that they would um, be showing a lot of trust if they didn't get up. And like I said, I wasn't sure what she was gonna do. So I um, gave him some instructions how to approach her. And so he came up uh, to her and kind of kneeled down and she, um, when she was laying down, she was, she had her legs tucked um, under her so her head was up and he started to pat her neck and she let him and she didn't get up but the thing was that she did after that was she laid completely down she got she got her legs out from under her and laid completely down and her head is on the ground and she was awake i could see her flicking her ears but she she allowed him to approach that way and to um you know he he's petting her and you know touching her neck and her back and she's she's totally fine and so i asked him well what is she what is she trying to tell you and he said she's telling me just to relax Mm -hmm. just to relax Mm -hmm. and so i could not have orchestrated that right and so a lot of that those interactions happen because i'm seeing what the horse does or maybe what the service member needs and and trying to make it help them make a connection 
and so the horse taught her that I didn't teach him that mm -hmm. and as I said you know I, I couldn't have made that happen so it's interesting to see those those types of interactions um, take place um, the same horse um, this was with a, a spouse a, a, a female spouse of a of a husband who had PTSD but she had her own she sort of had like a mm -hmm. secondary, secondary trauma yeah. right and um, it was the same horse and we were out in a now we were out in an arena and there was two there was three horses that are loose and they're running around moving around and I had turned them loose she she and I are in this arena and um, this horse and her name is honey she knew that I wanted her. She was the one that was going to be for the session. But I turned her out with her two friends. And they, they were running around. And Honey, she was able just to tune in to the fact that my focus was on her. And she stopped. And she walked up to this woman. And, and this woman is, is petting her and caressing her and just huge smile on her face. The horse left. And then about five minutes later, she came back. So she knew that this woman was experiencing some pain or anxiety, and she came back to it. And so it's, again, it's things that I, I have the privilege of watching it happen, but also helping facilitate these interactions and, and talking to them um, about what they're experiencing at that time, what is... What are you feeling? What is God telling you? What is what's the truth? So many times we might live with a lie, you know, that I that I'm better off not here. Mm -hmm. My family is better off, or I have nothing more to offer. My life is, you know, those are those are lies that that we believe, mm -hmm. and so we try to um, help them think. Well, is there an alternative? Is is that is that really the truth? So um, the other thing that that several veterans have told me is that sometimes we will get into a round pen, which is a circular corral, um, about 50, 60 feet in diameter, and put a horse in there with them. So they're in there with a thousand pound horse. And they tell me that their PTSD, all the intrusive thoughts of whatever that is, just goes away. Because they have to focus. Right, because you're... <laughs> There's a thousand-pound animal. A horse, if a horse was in the room here with us right, <laughs> right. now, we'd know, right? Yeah. Because it's a huge animal. Right, right. And so um, it, it, it breaks up those thoughts, and yeah. it, it gives them a chance to rest and to um, just enjoy the presence of this horse who is standing there with them. And, you know, I like to do a lot of work with Horses at Liberty, which means that they don't have um, a halter or lead rope on them. They're not confined in a small space, but they have freedom to come and go and move. And then the horse chooses to be with them or the horse chooses to follow them. And that is so powerful because the horse could just stand over there and on the other side of the fence and, or the, you know, the other side of the arena and ignore them. But most times they will, they'll be, they'll engage. 
And I think that's really what can be amazing. If, if people think about, um, you know, uh, equine-assisted healing, equine therapy, a number of different things that, you know, it can't work, um, other than having the experience it has. And there's neurological reasons that mm-hmm. it works, right? There's, it's in, in, you know, as you said, the, the horse is a, a thousand-pound animal with the brain of a rabbit, right? You know, and, and hypervigilant. Um, but but one of the things when it starts healing, healing has to start with awareness. And I've always described um, horses as mirrors of, of people's emotions. And I'll, I'll give you an example is a number of years ago, um, I was visiting, uh, um, I work a lot with the local veterans court and they asked me to go visit an organization and kind of talk about some of the equine stuff. And I'd had a meeting that morning, had another meeting that afternoon, but I was here over lunchtime. Uh, and as I was talking to uh, the person I was meeting with, she said, let's go up to the stable, right? So we went up to the stable uh, and she brought me over to one of the horses. And as I approached one of the horses, the horse kind of reared back. Um, and she turned to me and she was like, you're in a bad mood. And I said, but no, now I'm actually having fun. I'm hanging out with horses, but I'd had a bad meeting that morning and I was anticipating a bad meeting that afternoon. She said she hadn't picked up on it, but the horse sensed that I was tense right there. um, And that, you know, I I was even hiding it for myself. And that's the benefit that the horses can give us the awareness of what's going on that we might not even have awareness of ourselves. No, you're absolutely right. Um, They, they tend to respond to what they see or feel from us they have because they're wired god created them to to be able to understand their environment and um, evaluate they evaluate there and they're always um you know trying to like i said are the am i safe am i not is this okay so if someone comes in there with anger or um maybe some uh, maybe even depression or or other other types of emotion. The horse can sense what it is, and if the horse feels like th- that that emotion or what that person is giving off is potentially dangerous, the horse is not going to come up to you. Mm-hmm. The horse is going to turn away, and so that can help a service member or any whether you're a service member or not. Anyone realize okay, I am carrying this with me and I am putting this out. Mm-hmm. And that horse does not want to have anything to do with me. It will not let me approach. It's going to turn away from me. So is that how my family feels? Mm-hmm. You know, is that how the people feel at work? You know, what, what am I putting off that is pushing people away? So then it, it can, like you said, there and then there's a new, a new awareness of what I'm carrying and how I'm presenting myself when or how I am with other people. And so, okay, that's something to work on. And, and of course, then with that awareness comes action. And, and before we started recording, you talked a little bit. There's a there can be a wide range of different things. There's equine assisted psychotherapy. There's equine therapy. There's the work that you do, which isn't necessarily a licensed therapeutic practice. It's, Correct. But but this is where, where people think that equine therapy is this large monolithic thing. Um, but there can actually be a, lar- a lot of differences. There there are there um, and so. For us, I call it more of an equine ministry in the sense that as a, as a program that um, is based on um, in the belief that God is the one who does the healing. The horse is his creation, and he created the horse, and that horse can help um, in that process. But the Bible talks about how God um, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And I just love that picture 
we had a horse that had a um, a pretty serious injury on her leg, and I had to clean it and bandage it um, about every day for about six months, even through the winter. And as I cleaned it, and then I would get the bandage and, and wrap that around her leg, that verse was in my mind that that is what God does. You know, he, he is interested and wants to provide healing. He doesn't want, you know, he came to provide um, a, an abundant life, not a life that um, is filled with um, hardship. Although we're all gonna experience hardship. That's just the way our world is, but it doesn't mean that it can't have joy in it. It doesn't mean that there isn't a future that there isn't a today. I mean, myself, having come through what I did through my mom, and now um, my life is I'm able to give back to others. And that's what that's what God does. And so, um, yes, I am not a therapist in the clinical sense, but certainly the horses are therapeutic, and they um, help in that healing process of finding that awareness. What is the truth about myself? What is the truth about my future? And how, how can I move forward past what I've experienced to have that life that we all want? No, and I, I think that's, that's really helpful. Um, I, as a clinician, as a licensed therapist, um, I don't have all the answers because if I did, then the problem would be solved by now, mm. right? It, it's going to take, mm. I, I've come to describe it, it's, it's collaborative chess, right? We all have our own little chess piece um, and we're working against a, a, a very complicated opponent, which is the, the challenges that the service member's dealing with. So to sort of wrap up, you've got a fundraiser come up. You have a couple of other uh, events that you have coming up. Uh, and with any type of support, uh, people who want to reduce barriers uh, to getting these healings need some some help. Um, having people join you in supporting veterans can be a great way for them to get involved. Can you tell us more about some of the things that you have coming up here soon? Sure. Um, so what I didn't say, um, yeah, we are a nonprofit, but we do not charge for anyone to come out. So we have had over 500, 600 sessions, and uh, normally someone could pay um, 150 bucks for a session. And we do not charge for anyone, um, for those that we serve. And so we rely on the donations and the fundraising of, of people that believe in what we do and want to support us. So we have nine horses that we have to feed and take care of, and somehow they do eat like horses, <laughs> which is a lot. And so uh, we do these fundraisers, and the one we have coming up June 1st through J June 22nd is called the Soar Above Adversity Challenge. And what it is is a virtual um, climbing of Pikes Peak, Gray's Peak, and Long's Peak by exercising. So if someone wants to sign up, they would exercise an hour a day for uh, from June 21st to the 22nd, 21 days. We want to raise $21,000 in 21 days. And so they would sign up and, and commit to do any type of exercise they want and have friends, family, coworkers, other people kind of sponsor them for meeting that challenge. So that's, uh, that's happening now. Uh, well, people are starting to sign up or they can have teams compete against each other who can raise the most money. Um, and any type of exercise, walking your dog, taking a walk, taking a hike, ride a horse, tennis, um, swimming, hiking, running, whatever. 
Oh, that's great. And, I, and again, I think that's people, especially now, that as things are starting to open up and, and people are wanting to get involved, um, I, I think this might be a really great time for them to do that. Absolutely. And, and it's something you can do individually at your own time in your own place, your own space, whatever. And so um, the sign up for that is at soaraboveadversity.org. That's where the sign up is. And then we also um, serve first responders um, and we have buckaroo days coming up where we have three days where we invite um, first responder families out, police, um, firefighters, paramedics, they come out with their family for a day of fun at the ranch and we do not charge them for that. We do games, crafts, hay rides, horse rides. Um, we do, we provide lunch for them. They just come out with like, hey, thank you for what you do. We appreciate you. We want to give you this day of fun with your family and your other coworkers. So, and, and that's in, and we, we talked briefly, there is a lot of crossover between military service and first responders. And you know, I've mentioned on the show before, uh, my father was a St. Louis city cop in the 70s, so we don't know where you know, Vietnam mm-hmm. ended and, and, and sort of uh, mm-hmm. police work began with, with his PTSD. Um, but there is a large crossover in that sort of service space. Um, and so I think it absolutely fits. Um, the Buckaroo Days is coming up at the end of June. You're doing it three different days, June 26th, July 10th, and July 18th. Correct. And the sign-up, the registration is open right now at eaglesnestranch.org is where where families can sign up and come on out and have a a fun day at the ranch. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you leaving the beautiful ranch and coming into town to, <laughs> to be able to share it. I, I, I really believe in the work that you're doing, and I'm glad that you were able to join us on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope you can come out and see it. I'd love to have you come out. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Thank you. I hope that you appreciated my conversation with Susie. For this week's Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week, I'd like to share a bit about Operation Homefront. Operation Homefront is a national nonprofit serving America's military families. Founded in 2002 in the wake of the September 11th terrorist attacks, Operation Homefront's mission is to build strong, stable, and secure military families so they thrive in communities they've worked so hard to protect. When military and veteran families encounter financial challenges, they turn to Operation Homefront for support. 90% of Operation Homefront's expenditures go directly to programs to help military families. Programs like Operation Homefront's Critical Financial Assistance Program, which, since 2011, has provided more than $31 million in financial assistance, fulfilling over 47,000 requests from more than 18,000 families. The most common requests are for food and groceries, rent or mortgage, and utilities. Operation Homefront aims to fulfill its 50,000th request for financial assistance, providing military families with over $35 million in financial relief by the end of 2022. Operation Homefront maintains transitional housing villages in San Diego, San Antonio, and the Washington, D.C. area to help wounded, ill, and injured warriors and their families begin their transitions from military to civilian life. Since 2008, the villages have housed more than 600 military families, providing them with nearly 5,800 months of rent and utilities-free housing, saving them nearly $6.8 million. Operation Homefront's Permanent Homes for Veterans, formerly known as Homes on the Homefront, offers military families the foundation for long-term stability and resiliency and has awarded more than 600 families with permanent housing, providing more than $91 million in deeded value since 2012. 
In addition to housing and financial assistance, Operation Homefront offers recurring family support for families who need additional assistance throughout the year. With frequent deployments and relocations, many service members and their families face financial and emotional challenges. All too often, service members who already live frugal lives find themselves struggling to make ends meet, especially at the end of the year. Many are unable to simply provide a holiday meal for their family. Operation Homefront's Holiday Meals for Military primarily helps junior enlisted families, grades E1 through E6, celebrate the holidays by providing them the ingredients for a traditional holiday meal. Thanks to supportive partners like Cracker Barrel Old Country Store, Chobani, Procter & Gamble, Bob Hope Legacy, the Albertsons Foundation, and many more, this program can support thousands of service members and their families at a time when they are often far away from home. Last year, Operation Homefront reached a major milestone through its Holiday Meals for Military program, providing its 120,000th holiday meal to military families across the country and serving its 500,000th individual military family member since the program began in 2010. This July, Operation Homefront's Back to School Brigade will return to communities across America. This summer program has provided more than 425,000 backpacks to military families across the country. This year, they plan to provide 25,000 more backpacks with school supplies to military children, saving families more than $50 million in back-to-school expenses since 2008. Taking place throughout the year, Operation Homefront's Star-Spangled Babies baby showers primarily help junior enlisted military families, again, grades E1 through E6, by providing critical baby supplies to the families. Due to the generosity of P&G and local partners, this program allows Operation Homefront to help these growing families who are often balancing the excitement of a new baby with the hurdle of a tight budget. Since 2008, Operation Homefront has provided critical baby supplies to nearly 19,000 military new and expecting mothers. Operation Homefront also treats military spouses to a catered dinner with Homefront celebrations. This event encourages spouses to connect with others in their community to strengthen their networks as well as the bonds between one another. To further their commitment to helping service members, veterans, and their families reach their educational goals, Southern New Hampshire University proudly awards a full tuition scholarship to a deserving military spouse. The Military Child of the Year program is one of Operation Homefront's annual recurring support programs. Operation Homefront is about the military family because it's not just the service member who makes the sacrifice. And throughout the difficult situations that these families endure, the children are often forced to find resiliency, and in the cases of these eight different children each year, they go above and beyond themselves or their family unit, and they make great impact on their community. The Military Child of the Year Awards recognize the recipients for their resiliency, leadership, and achievement during their parents' service. Each recipient receives a trip to Washington, D.C. with a parent or guardian for the awards gala, a laptop, and a cash award of $10,000. For a military family, so much of military life is about being strong. Strong when their loved ones deploy, strong when they relocate, and strong when they start over and transition into civilian communities. The Start Strong, Stay Strong campaign is designed to inspire military families to know that their community supports them, to help them feel empowered, find real hope, and provide tangible solutions to meet their families' specific needs throughout their service. 
funded by P&G and local partners including Infinity Systems, Johnstone Supply, and Safeway, and individual donors, Operation Homefront helps champion their success and create the stability, connections, and comfort that our military families deserve to start strong in their community and stay strong for their family in the process. Help Operation Homefront create impact from our military family to yours. Find out how at operationhomefront.org. There you can find out what programs are coming to your community, when to nominate a military child, and make a donation to help build strong, stable, and secure military families in your community. So thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. It'd be great to hear your feedback. I'd like to answer any questions you have or know what you'd like to hear about. What topics about military and veteran mental health are you interested in? Send me an email at militarymind at fccsprings.com, and there's a chance that we'll discuss it on an upcoming show. I'd also like to remind you that the information provided on this show is for informational purposes only. While I am a licensed mental health professional, I am not your licensed mental health professional. If what we discuss in this episode brings up any concerns for you, it's highly recommended that you consult with a licensed mental health professional. Stay tuned for another great show next week, and until then, remember, you're not alone. Ever. Family Care Center is a comprehensive outpatient behavioral health clinic providing critical mental health support to service members, veterans, family members, and our local community. Family Care Center focuses on the mental health and wellness of those who have served our country's military by providing best in-class evidence-based therapy, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Family Care Center's clinical staff is dedicated to meeting every client's outpatient behavioral health care needs. This is Dr. Chuck Weber, inviting you to learn more at fcsprings.com. Family Care Center, our family, caring for your family. You've been listening to Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Sponsored by Family Care Center, Behavioral Health Services. Our family, caring for your family. fcsprings.com. Tune in every Saturday at 11 a.m. for Inside the Military Mind on KPPF and listen to the companion podcast on Podbean.